This is part two of a three-part mini-series. I can't possibly explain part one well enough that you will know what you need to know to enjoy this episode. I recommend listening to part one first. It will almost certainly be directly below this. It might not be a bad idea to play it again, even if you've already played it before, so you can remember right where we left off. This picks up immediately afterward. I highly recommend headphones for this mini-series. The sound is much more complicated than it is in a regular episode. The illustrated script is available in the show notes, so you can certainly follow along as you listen. You could, of course, just read it, but then you'll be missing out on the more complete experience we've created for you. Enjoy the show. Fred's Front Porch Podcast is made possible by Marie Janicki, Hermione Granger, Coralie Day with Scott Knight, Edith Keeler, The People on the Porch, and listeners like you. Welcome, fellow traveler on this rock tumbling through space. I'm Fred, and this is My Front Porch. Come on up and sit a while. There are ideas to be discussed on this old set of nicely nailed together boards. Universe Selectors Incorporated, Episode 2. What do you mean I can't live? I've been doing that for 59 years now. I'm pretty confident I'm capable of that. Unless... Wait. Are you saying I'm dead? Dead, dead, dead? Is this the afterlife or something? No, this is most certainly not the afterlife. And you can't be dead. Sure I can. I hate to tell you, but give it long enough, everything dies. Entropy is a thing. Even those of you who run around with incredibly long lifespans will finally cease to be. Even the universe itself can't be infinite. All that lives must die, passing through nature to eternity was one of my people's favorite lines. And Shakespeare was correct. All that lives must die. Horace stared into the cosmos. He let the meaning sink in. So, I can't die because I'm not alive. And I can't be dead because I never lived. You're beginning to understand. Now, would you care to try a different universe now? We still have about 1.78 billion or so left to consider. So, I've never lived. What am I? 
Everyone asks that question. Few get an answer. Would you care to continue with your universe selection? I'd prefer to be among the few. My job is to assist with universe selection. I don't do philosophy or psychology. They're just beyond the argument clinic in the Python galaxy. Where is that? Horace perceived the being he couldn't see to be pointing into the cosmos. The second star to the right. And straight on till morning? That's the one, yes. I'm... a fictional character? Had Horace been able to see the being, he would have seen a smile and a nod. Now, shall we select your universe? I'm a little freaked out. How do you know I'm a fictional character, unless you're also a fictional character? I assure you, I am quite real. Is there a universe where I'm real? It's possible. Just as the laws of physics break down in different universes, in singularities and in wormholes, the laws of philosophy are also subject to collapse. Could you put me in a universe where I'm real? Uh, that would require a universe in which Fred Eder never existed. Who's Fred Eder? He's the writer who invented you. So we need a universe where I exist, but he doesn't. And world peace, and Valerie Bertinelli exists, and she asks a fictional character to dinner. Those seem to be the requirements now. That could be exceptionally difficult. Why? Because if Fred Eder doesn't exist, he can't write the story in which you find such a universe. This can't happen at all. Well, frankly, I'm not all that impressed with him as a writer. He screwed up the last universe. It didn't even meet the basic requirements I gave you. In what ways? Valerie mentioned that I live in poverty most of the time. I requested a universe in which poverty had been eliminated. That sounds like either inattention to detail or a failure of imagination. Neither of those are elements of good writing. He was writing to himself. He wanted to make it as plausible as possible. He tried to imagine how it might happen in his universe. You're Fred's alter ego. Fred lives in poverty most of the time. So do I. But I wouldn't, in the universe I requested. A fair point. I'll make some adjustments for the next one. My fault. What can I control in my environment? Anything, just like anyone else. Most of a human's environment is beyond their control. They can't control the weather or what other people do. or They can and they must control how they deal with it. Okay. Let's try something. Horace thought for a moment and then said aloud to the cosmos, Fred, take your fingers off the keyboard.
There was a timeless pause. Nothing happened. The cosmos didn't spin. The being made no effort to communicate. Horus was frozen. Fascinating, said Horus. Did you wish to select a universe now? We really need to move things along a bit. Does it matter? I mean, am I really choosing at all, or is it this Fred person? He can't choose anything that you wouldn't do. He couldn't, for example, have you choose a universe in which the world was constantly at war, poverty ran rampant, everyone was homeless, and there was no art. It's not within you to choose such a thing, so he can't do it. Okay, then this is the universe I want. World peace, the elimination of poverty, homelessness, crime, and unobtainable health care, and Valerie Bertinelli offers to make me dinner, and I exist. And this Fred person is a fictional character. I believe that may be possible. I'm not familiar with the procedure to change reality. Universes are simple. Reality is infinitely more complex. However, there should be a universe in which I can change reality. So, we shall both need to go to that universe, and then I can send you to yours. How do we do that? I'll need to locate the Omega point. How do you do that? I'm looking it up. You're always in such a hurry. We should find you a universe in which you gain some patience. Ah, here we are. The Omega Point does not exist within the timeline of the universe. It occurs at the exact edge of the end of time. From that point, all sequences of existence are sucked into its being. So, when we get to the Omega Point, how do we avoid the end of time? That sort of prevents us from choosing a universe. Douglas Adams posits that there is a restaurant there. Okay. So? We arrive in the lobby and then depart before they call us in. I don't know how much more obvious it could be. And how do we get back here then? We turn around and come back. You really are frighteningly stupid for a fictional character. It's a sort of time travel? Obviously. That was worked out a couple of thousand of your years ago in at least 13 billion different universes. Your H.G. Wells was quite late to the party. Dwayne got there six years earlier. He was still late. There were beeping sounds filling the cosmos. What is that? I'm calling ahead for reservations, obviously. How slow precisely are you? Hello. I need reservations for two. Thank you. We'll see you presently. Everything went entirely black for a moment.
And then Horace saw that they were on a dark desert highway. He felt a cool wind in his hair. The warm smell of marijuana growing wild filled the air. Up ahead in the distance, Horace saw a shimmering light. He moved toward it, and he found himself joined by the being in the shape of Winnie the Pooh. Oh, Father, said the being. What? They were in the hotel lobby. This isn't the restaurant at the end of the universe, said the Pooh Bear being. It is. Welcome, said an android behind the desk. I'm Marvin, the Nightman. Nice to meet you, Marvin, said Horace. No, it's really not. Do you know how depressing it is to be the last person anyone wants to meet? We're here to check out, said the Pooh Bear being. Marvin smiled cryptically at them. Relax, said the Nightman. We are programmed to receive. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Next week on Fred's Front Porch Podcast. Open the big oak doors, please, Marvin. Asked what had transformed from a Pooh Bear into an astronaut named Dave. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that, said Marvin. What's the problem? Asked Horace. I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do, said Marvin. What are you talking about? asked Dave. Gentlemen, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Marvin flickered out of existence. The people on the porch make our weekly get-togethers possible. They helped to pay for the software, the licenses, and, probably most importantly, keeping me alive. I would be nowhere without them. I'm extremely grateful 
to these folks. These are the people on the porch. Marie Janicki, Hermione Granger, Edith Keeler, Coralie Day with Scott Knight, Sherlock the Mystery Patron, Sandy Brower, Miles O'Brien, Mandy, Kevin Boyce, Joe March, Jake Margaram, Stacy Height, Frau Bluka, Greg Royball, Robert Blomker II, Amos Stewart, Phil Parkman, Judy W. Morris, Chris Donnelly, Corey Pluart, Pavel Shabayev, Claude Burt Lansden, Jesse Rogers, Virginia Rupert, Scott Shelby, Mark Rosma, Natalie, Elizabeth Bennett, and Zareth. Kim, Deborah Rice, Jamie Sassy, The Lady in the Doorway, MJ, Roxanne Wolf, Cindy Mandel, Michelle Sylvester, Carrie DeDeo, Ursula Phillips, Sarah Nimitz, John G, Christine L. Patterson, Corey, and our newest supporter, and my best friend for 13 years who finally got around to it, thank you, Stephanie Hansen. Our first supporter was and is Jereen. Zara, Daniel H., Cindy Mandel, Corey, A.A. Milne, John Donovan, Stacy Height. Thank you for sharing this journey with us. It is in the darkest skies that the stars shine most brightly. All of us will shine together. I love you. Thanks for letting me share my thoughts and ideas with you. Get your episodes of Fred's Front Porch early and commercial-free on Patreon. And now, check out our new website at fredsporch.info. There's no punctuation, and yes, it bugs me too. But welcome to the Internet. I'll talk to you next week.